Welcome to the Bleed Midlife Bulimia Podcast with guest Monique Rhodes, happiness specialist. Hi, I'm Lorianne. I'm the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia, and I am so happy, and this is going to be perfect, because I have with me Monique Rhodes, and she is the uh, happiness specialist. And what we're going to be talking about is uh, all about happiness, being happy. And now, Monique is from New, uh, is in New Zealand. She's from New Zealand. She does uh, live in Los Angeles uh, as well. And due to COVID, she's back home. Thank you so much for being here. So great to be here, Lorianne. And so I want to ask you, how did you get into being a happiness specialist? Mm, that's a great question. Well, you know, Sometimes when we, we meet someone and, and they're really happy and they're really positive and they're really grounded in their lives, it can be easy for us to look at them and think, ah, oh, they just kind of had it easier than I did. And I, I want to tell you that that wasn't the case for me. I had a very, very difficult childhood. I was adopted at 10 days old. And, you know, when you begin with a, a, a story of, you know, you imagine you're in your mother's womb and then your very first experience of life is that you are separated from the only thing that you know. It's deeply traumatic. So that was the first trauma. And then I was adopted into a family that was incredibly difficult. And I struggled. I really struggled. And I think that probably by, the, by my early teens, I think it would be fair to say that I was suffering from depression. And then as my, my life went on, I just found my my emotional states more and more difficult to handle. I felt unsafe in the world. I felt like I was on a constant emotional roller coaster. You know, I wake up in the morning, I'd never know where my emotions were going to go during the day. And I felt like I was on survival mode a lot of the time. And then at the age of 19, things kind of hit a, a turning point because I ended up in hospital having taken an overdose. I just couldn't handle... I couldn't handle things anymore and I couldn't figure a way through. And I remember sitting in that hospital bed and making a decision that I was going to give everything that I had in me to try and understand why was it that I was so unhappy? Why was it that I was in so much internal pain and struggling so much? And was there a way to turn that around? Was it possible to even turn it around? And why was it that some people seemed to be really happy and others like me were really struggling. So I went on a, a journey that I'm still on. I traveled all over the world. I, I learned from some of the greatest teachers of our time. I've lived in all sorts of wild and wacky places. I lived for years in India. I bought a motorbike and I rode through India and really looked at the culture and studied it. Went up to Nepal, learned with teachers up there, up to Bhutan, which is a a little country in the Himalayas where they they don't uh, measure the success of the country by gross national production. They measure it by gross national happiness. And I've been to all sorts of countries all over the world to see what is it. And yeah, I, I discovered so many things. And I started to, I started to really look at, I guess, experimenting on myself. I take pieces of information and then put them into a, I'm a very practical person, Lorianne, and put them into practice and see, okay, if I, if I do this, if I shift that, what difference does it have on my well-being? 
And um, as well as that, I did a lot of therapy as well. So I could look at what were the underlying causes of things that were happening. And I, and I really began to understand that, you know, we're made up of a series of habits. And if I could start to shift some of those habits, would things change? And you can probably tell by the way that I am that, you know, I'm a pretty happy person. And I, I, would, I would say that I look at myself now and I cannot believe the change in me. I cannot, from the 19-year-old to me now, the, the shift is just absolutely phenomenal. And I wake up every day with a, a hope and a joy with life. My happiness levels are really grounded and solid. I have my moments. I have moments where I might struggle a bit, but they're very, they don't last very long. So I really did discover that, that there was a way through. And, and so that's what I teach. And, and I love that you say that because, um, you know, obviously we are um, on a podcast about bulimia and I went through 30 years of struggling with it in the last 10 years I've been without it. And I've, I've had to work through that too. And it wasn't so much the happiness, it was when you're not happy. So you can be happy for a good point of time and then something, and, and sometimes you don't even know what's taken away your happiness. So I would like to ask you that question. If there's somebody uh, and it would be wonderful for bulimics that happiness become their best friends rather than bulimia, because I think that that's what I'm pursuing. And some people say you can't pursue happiness. No, you can't. You can't pursue it. You can become it. So uh, this is why I love having you on here, because you can speak more to this, please. I, mean, I think one of the, the biggest struggles that we have is we we look at ourselves when we're in a place that's difficult and we think that everybody else has got it together. And I think one of the biggest um, realizations for me early on was to start to understand that everyone was struggling too. And that I wasn't the only person that was having a difficult time. And I think that that enabled me to relax something in myself a little bit because it can be tricky, particularly when, you know, we are, we're suffering from difficulties like bulimia, where we think, oh, it, no, other people don't have this issue and I have it. They do. They just play it out in different ways. They might play it out with a social media addiction that makes them run away from their emotional states. Or, I mean, there's endless things that people do, alcoholism, overeating, like there's endless. And all of that every single one of us is trying to do is cope. And we're trying to cope in a world where we're not really taught how to cope. You know, we're taught things in school like science and math and, you know, English and all of that. We're not taught, how do I cope when my emotions are out of control? How do I cope when there's something from my childhood or my past that's really difficult then I don't know how to cope with it. How do I work with that? What do I do when I come from a home where maybe there's a massive problem with my mother or my father? No one teaches us that. Imagine if things like that were taught in school. You know, we would be, we would be in a whole different place than we're in now. So instead, we have to kind of bumble our way through. And in our bumbling, sometimes we get ourselves, you know, caught in emotional states that are really difficult. So I think 
the first thing I want to say to everyone who's listening to this, no matter what's going on for me, for you, like we all have our coping techniques and mechanisms. And when we start to look at those and really ask ourselves the question, does this serve me anymore? What, it, what is this serving? Why am I doing this? What, what is that piece of me that, that I'm trying to take care of by this particular uh, thing that I'm doing, whatever it is. And then to really say to myself, well, is it serving me? Does it really serve me? Or is there something else that I could possibly do that would give me the, the same comfort or the same level of groundedness or control that actually wouldn't, wouldn't be as harmful for me? And then to start to work with it like that. Does that make sense, Laurieanne? It, it absolutely does. Now, what I would move towards is what would somebody, so let's say that I have some clients, I would say, um, how is this? You know, it, it becomes that bulimia is their friend. Bulimia is their coping mechanism, as we spoke about, uh, but to, to transfer it. I know that I've been able to do it and it's made me happy, but there's also a cycle of happiness where sometimes you feel really happy for a period of time. And then that happiness kind of goes, well, that kind of went away because that was exciting. And, and I know that bulimics is just, it's a constant, right? It's like food's always there. That happiness of eating the food because there is kind of like that while they're doing their binging. Uh, and then there's the non-happiness of the purging. But I even found after my 10 years of like giving it up, there's times where I'll sit there and go, this makes me happy. I want to wake up in the morning. I want to do this every day. And then suddenly, you know, two months later, I'm going, I don't, I'm not happy about this anymore. And then now I don't go, I don't go to my purging because I've learned to do, but I keep looking for that next step. That's going to inspire me to keep going and it's almost, and, and I'm, I'm not going to lie about it because, I mean, I love my bulimia recovery coaching because it keeps me going, but on my outside world, okay, so my personal world, I'm constantly looking for things to make me happy. And I have to realize, and maybe you can speak to this, Monique, I go out every day. I've got a pond outside. I've got a paddle boat. I've got all these things. And sometimes I forget this should make me happy, but why do I not focus on that? I love what you've said. Okay. So it, it, it's a really good thing to understand that there are two types of happiness. So the first happiness is a fleeting happiness. Okay. And this fleeting happiness comes from things like, uh, Okay, let's say when I first moved to the States, I really wanted a Jeep Wrangler, okay? I'd always wanted a Jeep from when I was a kid. So I, I get my Jeep Wrangler, I'm excited about it. The Jeep Wrangler comes, I get in my Jeep Wrangler, I'm like driving around like, woohoo, with my top down, I love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah, I love it, I love it. Yeah, I love my Jeep Wrangler, it's great, right? Now what have I got to do? to get the next rush of that happiness, right? Oh, uh, now I want to a new relationship. I want a new relationship. That's going to make me happy. Oh, I've met this person. They're so wonderful. They're so wonderful. They're so wonderful. Ah, 
a little bit problematic. Oh my goodness, they're really problematic. This isn't making me happy anymore. This is what we do. So you, if we can imagine ourselves as like a rat, you know, going around and around on that little treadmill thing where we never ever can get ahead into that place of happiness, right? That that is going to last. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a happiness that is lasting. Now, we live in a world that is consistently telling us, feeding us a lie. And that lie is, is that happiness can be found outside of yourself. That's the lie that we're fed. And the reason that we're fed that lie is that this is how the economy works. The more that you're dissatisfied with yourself as a human being, and you can believe that I can sell you something that will make you happy, you're going to buy it. So this is how the world works. So we're consistently fit. If you meet the right person, get a raise, buy this house, buy this car, whatever it is, we're told that will make us happy. And it's, it's really interesting. Like some years ago, I went, a couple of years ago, I went and saw Lady Gaga perform in Los, in Las Vegas. She was doing this amazing show. And it was really interesting. So if we look at all of the things that we think could possibly make us happy, that we're fed will make us happy, we think, well, power, wealth, beauty, talent, uh, fame, all of those things Lady Gaga has, okay? She was getting paid a million dollars a show for those shows. She's got it all. And what struck me when she was performing was that she talked about her depression, her isolation, her sadness, her loneliness, to a point where it was so painful for me to hear it. And so when we look at someone like that, and there are so many examples of people like this who, who have everything that we believe to make us happy, we can see that actually a lot of the people that have everything we're told makes us happy are really miserable. But we think about it like this, right? When I wake up in the morning, one of the first things that I do is I brush my teeth, I take a shower, I put on clean clothes. You know, I, I like to look at, I love my office space to be really tidy. I love my home to be really tidy. But the truth is, is that I don't live in my house. I don't live in my office. I don't even live in these clean clothes that I'm wearing. The place that I live in is in my mind. And when is the last time you cleaned out your mind? So we start to see that if I live in my mind, that actually happiness and suffering doesn't come from external circumstances. It comes from how I react to external circumstances. So the key actually to happiness is not about having the big house and the big car and all of the stuff. It's actually what is going on here in my mind. And if we learn to work with our minds, this is what the great thing I discovered. If we can learn to work with our mind, then we can actually transform our whole life. Because when we think about, you know, I know a little bit about bulimia because I had friends growing up who had it. Uh, I've known quite a few people who've had it. And from, from everything that I understand, and forgive me if I get anything wrong, I'm sure you'll tell me, but, you know, most of the things that we do that uh, we wish we did differently or are compulsive are really around suppressing, suppressing emotional states 
or thought states that we're not able to handle. And it makes perfect sense. If my thoughts and my emotions are out of control and I can't cope with them, then I'll find things to cope. And you see this with kids, you know, who are like, the moment there's a difficult emotion, they pick up their phone or go on social media as a way to pacify, but actually the end result doesn't feel so good. Initially, it feels good, but long-term, it doesn't feel so good. So those thoughts and those emotions that are out of control are in our mind. And if we learn, it's almost like we want to go to the root of the tree to cut it down rather than go to and try and cut the leaves down. We want to go to the root and the root cause of our suffering is in our mind. So that's the place we need to go to. And that's where we need to do the work. I have a really crazy question. Go for it. Can so I always thought that I would make a million dollars if I could get some sort of thing that it just eliminates from your brain all of the negative things that have happened in your life. The problem is with that is that if you eliminate those, you're also eliminating all the beautiful things that happened in your life. So let me just give you an example. So I had a really hard, hard divorce. It was really bad. I don't get into it that much. Someday I might, but, um, and I had three beautiful children from it. So I, and, and I loved my ex-husband, like there was no tomorrow, but that, but I dream of him a lot. And, and, and I asked my daughter who's in psychology, I go, why the heck do I keep dreaming about your dad after I've been like, you know, 17 years, almost 20 years divorced or whatever it is. And she goes that, that, that the brain has a, a muscle memory and it maintains particularly certain parts of your life. And I said, if I could somehow dissolve the negatives, but then if I did that, then I would be wondering why I ever divorced him. So there's so many components to it that you can't do this. And okay. if, sorry, sorry, but I was just going to say, if there was even a way that you're talking about the happiness where you can come together and get that subconscious mind coming together, saying everything's okay, you know, you're here, but that's so hard to get to. It's all about the story that we tell ourselves. It's really important when someone treats us badly that we we stand up and say, this is not okay. But what happens is, is that we run stories around in our minds consistently about things that happen. I mean, just think about it. Let's say I wake up in the morning and I'm driving to work and I'm at a, I'm at a traffic light and somebody cuts me off. So I have an emotional reaction. Rah, this guy cut me off. Then I might be driving a little bit down the road. My partner rings me. Ah, oh, you wouldn't believe what just happened. This guy just cut me off, feeding the emotion again. I get to work. Hey, how's your morning going? You want to believe what just happened? This guy just cut me off. Again, I'm feeding that emotion, right? There's a wonderful woman called Jill Bolt Taylor who did a TED talk called A Stroke of Insight, which is just such an amazing TED talk to watch. And she's a, a neuroscientist who had a stroke and she was able to see it from a medical perspective while she was having it. But one of the interesting things that she discovered in her research is that an emotion has a 90-second shelf life. After 90 seconds, the only reason that an emotion continues is because we're feeding it. So this becomes really interesting. 
So it's fine to have emotions. Emotions are a normal part of our life. But what happens is, is that we feed them with our story. So what happens when we tell different stories about what happened? So I come from a very, very traumatic childhood. I could sit here and tell you a whole bunch of stories about my childhood that would make your hair curl. But at the same time, there's another story that lives in there side by side. And that story is that through the trauma I experienced, through the difficulty and hardship, it has built me into a very particular type of person, a person who's very focused on compassionate action, on loving people, on helping people. Would I have become that person if I hadn't gone through all of that trauma? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I know that when I see someone in pain or in difficulty, the first thing I want to do is help because that compassion just rises up in me so naturally because of what's happened. There's also the question that I could ask myself is that my mother, who was so difficult when I was growing up, very well became my greatest teacher, the most important person in my life. Because of, through all the difficulty, I learned how to be kind, how to be loving, how to be generous, how to be thoughtful. And my whole career is now based on everything that she taught me, even if she didn't intentionally teach me in a particular way. So it's all about the reaction we have to things. Of course, we've been traumatized. So many people have been. But at some point, it's almost like, we have to turn off the tap from our past and say, I'm in the present moment now. And how am I going to deal with this present moment and stop living in what happened in the past? Does that make sense? That absolutely does. And interestingly enough, before we spoke tonight, my sister called me and there were some conflicts that were going. And I said, do you understand where the conflict is taking you? It's taking you to where you need to go. So if you take the conflict and turn it into a positive, uh, and which I try to do every day, uh, although I'm not as good as it, as at it as a lot of people out there, but I work on it every day. Uh, I just had a friend who passed away and, and with tremendous regards to the fact that I already knew that he was going to be passing. But we always said that he came into our lives with intent. He was always happy. And even when he was suffering, you didn't know that he was suffering. And when we all got together for the celebration of life, we kept thinking, how do we do that? This is why you intrigue me because he was all of that. And we all sat there going, how do you do that? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a great question. I'll tell you how he does it because it's his habitual way of being. So we literally are a series of habits. If someone, uh, you know, does something to me that reminds me of something from my past, I will, I will have a habitual reaction to it. So this is where working with the mind is so important so that we can break down almost that piggy bank that stores all our past experience and leads us to behave habitually. So what we need to do is start to understand how are the ways that I behave habitually? If I have a, a difficult emotion come up, do I run away from it by doing certain things? And if I do, what can I put in there 
instead? What can I put in place? Because it's not good enough for us to sit and think, I know this behavior is harmful for me. I just got to stop it. There was a, an experiment done, I think, in Charlottesville many years ago, where they put these rats into a, a maze, and the rats got to the end of the maze. And if they ended up on the left-hand side, there was chocolate milk. If they ended up on the right-hand side, there was water. Of course, the rats very quickly learned to go to the chocolate milk. They kept going to the chocolate milk. Then what the scientists did was they put a little bit of poison into that chocolate milk so that once the rats had uh, drunk the milk, they would feel unwell in their, in their bodies. And they believed that the rats would stop drinking the chocolate milk and go back to the water. What was absolutely fascinating was that the rats didn't. Instead, what they did was they kept drinking the chocolate milk even though they knew that it was going to make them feel ill. And what it showed was that even when we can logically look at something as being harmful for us, if it gives us a moment of comfort, the habit of that comfort will override our logic and override our ability to say, wow, I've got to stop doing this. So what we need to do is, is to find other habitual behaviors to put in to give us the comfort that we're looking for. And that's what I teach in my courses, particularly in my course, Happiness Baseline, is I teach you over eight weeks how to bring other habitual habits in that will give you that feeling of comfort and start to lift your happiness levels so that you can start to get out of those dark places and start to shift some of your habits. I've just had one of my students who um, has just been amazing. He came into my class. He's got a problem with alcohol. It's really problematic for him. That's what he uses to pacify those emotions. And he's just finished the happiness baseline and he's sober. And it's just extraordinary for him. Like he can't believe it that he's got himself to a place where this is even a possibility. But this is what we have to look at. We have to look at what are different ways that I can actually start to deal with these emotions that feel so uncomfortable for me. I, I just love that. And it sounds like what you end up doing too is that happiness. As I said with my friend, we all said that there was intent in everything he did in a positive way. So that becomes habitual over time. And uh, that's beautiful because I, I think that there's a lot of us that keep thinking, no, I can't get there. I can't be that person who's always that way. And well, heck, if I got over bulimia, I could get over anything, even Absolutely. that part of it. But even that bulimia status of it, what you just spoke to is, you know, there's different ways of, of getting around it. And I, I really believe it. I would say that I'm, you know, 70% of the time I'm super happy. 30% of the time I find it difficult to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I've got to say to you, Lorianne, I'm no Einstein, you know, it's not like, uh, I always think if I can do it, anybody can do it truly but you just have to learn the techniques that will help you to support your mind so that you can shift. That's what it is, is shifting the mind. I want to tell you a, a story that had a huge impact on me. So when, when, so the Chinese invaded Tibet and I think it was like 1959 and Tibet was this very isolated country. 
And there was a teacher there. His, his name is Gauchin Rimshe. And I met him many years ago. He told me this amazing story. He was in a, a Chinese prison camp for 21 years. And he, he was a great uh, master of working with his mind. And he said, I was put in this prison camp. And when I went in, I was put in a cell with another guy. I'm in the cell with this other guy. And he said, it was really difficult. We were physically and mentally tortured. And we were, you know, it, it was really, really hard. Can you imagine being in prison for 21 years? And he said, he was in there with this guy, was a cellmate, we became really close friends. And he said, my friend struggled so much. It was really, really hard for him. And I tried to help him and I tried to help him. And he said, one day, you know, he said, we slept on this mat together on the floor. And one day I woke up in the morning, there was blood all over me. And my friend had found something sharp and had managed to take his own life. And he said, what's really interesting about it was this. He said, there we were, two men, the same age, in the same cell, in the same physical conditions, in the exact same circumstances. And one of us suffered so much that he took his own life. And the other one didn't suffer at all. He said, the only difference between the two of us was that I had trained my mind and he hadn't. And I remember the story just being so inspiring to me. And I really realized that in those exact same circumstances, we can have completely different experiences of life. And I know for myself that my circumstances haven't really changed. I'm still out in the world doing stuff, doing things, but the way that I experience the world, the way that I relate to the world is completely different because I relate to it so differently. My whole life experience is completely altered. So we need to understand that it doesn't come from all of these external things. It comes from working with what's going on in our mind. I love that. And, and I really do love the fact that uh, habits we don't have to go to negative habits. We can make our negatives into positives and it does take time and it takes belief in ourselves, but it can be done. Without a doubt. You know, I have this course, the happiness baseline. We put thousands and thousands of people through it and we test people at the beginning. We test your happiness levels uh, with the Penn state university test. That is a, is a really well-renowned one. And then when people complete it, we test them at the end. And we have a 100% success rate in shifting people's score from the beginning of the course to the end of the course, 100%. It's like, as long as you get to the end of the course, we will shift your happiness levels. And, and for some people, they shift, you know, a bit, like they, but everyone sees a shift in them. And some people, the shift that they have is just so phenomenal. And it's all about the work that you put in. If I put the work in, and just work with that. And I, I, the course is so powerful because it's just like little incremental things that I get you to shift and change. Within eight weeks, you'll see a massive change in yourself. That is so fantastic. I really want to thank you for being here with me today. Uh, I believe in everything that you're doing. Uh, I still have to work on my own. <laughs> 
and I know that is funny because here I am a bulimia recovery coach, but the biggest thing is, is that it's really good to be honest with yourself. So there can be parts of your life that you're still there. You're still going to a point, but I, I always believe that you can get better at it. Uh, you know, I, I want to, I literally, Monique, it's really weird, but um, my friend who passed away, he always, he said to me, he said, um, in our last podcast, because he is on our podcast, he said, uh, I have lived a really great life and I'm ready to go. And because he knew he was going because they had told him, I want to be at that point in my life where I'm not going to regret the fact that I sat there thinking, oh my goodness, somebody spilled something on my, you know, table and I'm really upset about it. It's going to change my mind. Okay. I'm not like that. That's a simple thing for me. I don't mind because I was always clumsy in my life, but you understand what I'm saying. Where a little tiny thing you shift your mindset. I want to end up with that and, and like that. And it sounds like you can help people to get there to the way that my friend is, and I'm hoping that I get to. So I would love you if you can share with our listeners how they can reach you, please. Absolutely. I want to start, first of all, by just um, honoring the work that you do, Laurieann. I think that this conversation that you create helping people with bulimia is is such important work. And, and I, I just really want to honor you that you're so open and honest about your own journey and your own struggles, which I know is such a comfort. And it's so nice to be working with people who walk the talk, who don't say, you don't have to be perfect. You know, just put one foot in front of the other. I, I promise you, I'm so far from perfect. It's not funny. But I've really made massive inroads and the other thing I want to say is to everyone who's listening I want to honor you as well because it can be so easy to think it's too hard I can't change and I know that just by listening to this podcast you are stepping up and saying I want to I want to do things differently and I you're a very special person for doing that you're no different from anyone else who has a issue or a problem that they're struggling with so I just want you all to be gentle on yourselves and just to honor yourselves today for for looking at this and saying maybe there's another way and I and I want to find it so yeah it's really important to me because I I know how much courage it takes to shift things but even to begin to look at shifting things so I want to honor the courage in all of you so if you want to come and find out more about my work, come to Monique Rhodes, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-R-H-O-D-E-S, MoniqueRhodes.com. I have a bunch of courses in there. The Happiness Baseline is a powerhouse. I think that it would be a phenomenal introduction for all of you to come and really experience it. And the great thing about, it, about that course is that uh, I do things a little differently. I charge an accountability bond. So I ask you to put down a certain amount of money as a bond. If you finish the course in 10 weeks, as most people do, because they're motivated, you just send an email and say, I want my bond back. And the reason that I do it that way is because all I care about is that you do the work. I want you to get to the finish line. So that could be a really perfect way for any of you to come in and, and do this. I'm in the course every day, cheering you on, helping you answering questions. So it's not a course even where, you know, it's just online and the person who teaches isn't there. I'm very actively involved with my community. So it could be a wonderful thing for you to come in and join me in that course. That's 
absolutely wonderful. I love the bond idea and uh, an inspiration really to, to, you know, it, it's motivation to get something done. And uh, you, again, I'm so happy that I had you on here. And I know it's kind of funny. I'm saying happy, but it was something that when I saw this, I thought uh, I really need my listeners to hear about this because I do believe that there's a lot that struggle with that. They think that they're not happy or they're, or they don't know how to find the pure happiness and and pure happiness. I don't think, you know, can you say purity? No, we're humans, but can you achieve a level where, you know, it can help you. And like you said, the the person who was an alcoholic, they, you know, they overcame it. Um, There's no promises in anything, but I thought that this is a great start to, you know, there's, there's, there's therapists, there's coaches, but I want my listeners to hear that there's also other alternatives to start, you know, in a different, if, if this works better for them, then please um, take it on. And Monique, again, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. It's been an honor to, to talk to you and to be here with your listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com.